Okay, so inside the cylinder, at two of the season, at 94 in total. So, um, as always, you can follow Inside the Cylinder on our new stream on the Detroit Bad Boys podcast stream. New episodes going up on DetroitBadBoys.com every single week. And Matt, I mean, how does it feel that, you know, you joined Inside the Cylinder here recently and shortly here, you're going to be crossing the century mark with your boy, the big 100. I'm, I'm excited, David. Um, it's a... Uh... It's it's something uh, really cool to be a part of. Um, you know, doing ninety four episodes is a ton, um, and so I can't even imagine all the work that's gone into that. And I think we'll definitely have to do something special for for number one hundred. We might have to get a, a an extra special guest lined up. Yeah, true. We'll definitely do something like that, um, or maybe like a mailbag episode or something. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, you know, there's definitely some Pistons news. We're going to talk more about the preseason, some of the additional preseasons we've take takeaways from, you know, the last couple of games, but, uh, in most recent Pistons news and not necessarily directly linked to the Pistons, but, uh, one separation, I guess you can say, Luke Kennard has signed a four year $64 million deal with the Clippers. $56 million of that is guaranteed. Uh, and before we had hit the record button, we were kind of talking a little bit about that trade in general. There's a lot of moving parts going on. It's a three-team trade. Um, you know, there's picks, there's players, there's G League guys. But I guess from your standpoint... Matt, uh, what are your sort of thoughts when you saw that come across the timeline? When Woj hit the Woj bomb, everybody was reacting. I know a lot of Pistons fans are polarized when they you know, think about Luke Kennard. Um, I would say that most people that I see are general or were pretty big supporters of him. But for you, did you have any like sort of positive or negative takeaways or thoughts, I guess you could say, when it comes to Luke Kennard and signing that deal with the Clippers? Um, you know, David, I, I guess part of me is still processing it to some degree. Um, I don't like to be too reactionary, um, which is why I just sometimes avoid Twitter when, or at least posting on Twitter when those, uh, things come out. I was, I guess I was surprised that it came so quickly. Um, I, 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 I'm surprised that they were willing to re-sign him for the 64 million, I think is a reasonable number over the, the four years, but to give him four years without seeing how he plays with Kawhi and Paul George, who's now now has a long-term deal um, without seeing how healthy he is. Um, you know, he, that, that was kind of the, the thing I think people thought was they were, sort of giving him away one because he, he didn't fit what Troy Weaver wanted to do, but two, because there were serious concerns about his knees. Um, and there, those may exist. I, he, he was injured quite a bit um, in, in his time at Detroit and he just didn't look the same a lot of times last year. So I, I, I was pretty surprised. I think he, he fits pretty well with the Clippers moving forward if he is healthy and if he is maybe a little more aggressive, but um, 
I'm, I'm still processing it, I guess. Um, it, it definitely um, makes you question why they didn't, why the Pistons didn't get something out of that deal, some more out of that deal, I guess, if the Clippers were willing to sign him to this kind of contract. Um, so those, those are my initial thoughts. What, what were you thinking? I guess one of the first things that came to mind was, as you mentioned, the health. I think one of the biggest takeaways that when the trade went down initially was like, okay, Detroit also chipped in four second round picks. Now you can value those or, or not value those very highly. But just the thought process of usually when you're incentivizing some team taking on a guy, uh, mind you, Luke Kennard is uh, in the last year of his deal. The Pistons didn't extend him. So. Uh, you know, th- there's some risk, I guess, it, it just in the sense that he might leave following that year. But usually just when you incentivize a trade with stuff, and in this case, stuff being four second round picks, there's seems to be like there's a, I don't know, like an unwillingness for a team to do that trade unless they were to be incentivized. But it, it clearly shows the Clippers cards and maybe you didn't have to give around, give away four second round picks because they were clearly high on him without even seeing him in an extended period of time on the floor uh, with that team and with their stars. So they were clearly high on him no matter what. I guess it made me question a little bit about not just like a talent evaluation, uh, you know, from Troy Weaver, and and you know that's partly why he was that's a big reason why he was brought to Detroit was talent evaluation. But also, you know, maybe just an understanding of like leverage and negotiating and, you know, kind of being the front man for an organization. So I guess those are just like some underlying doubts that I have about Troy Weaver overall. And I'm not writing the book on him right now, but in general, it just kind of took me by surprise. Like, okay, well, clearly you did not have to give away four second round picks that could be useful in future trades if the Clippers were obviously going to re-sign him. That was their goal the moment that they, they picked him up in the trade. So I guess that's just one of the one things that makes me sort of pause on everything. It's like, oh, well, I don't know. It, it just doesn't seem like it had to happen with the four second-round picks, that is. Yeah, I, I I never quite understood why they gave up so many second-rounders. Um, second-rounders are easy to acquire, so it's not – debilitating for the franchise or anything like that, but it, it just didn't quite make sense in terms of getting value for Kennard, who, you know, we have seen that the teams value him, I guess, to a degree in the past. Um, there, there were the rumors about trading him to Phoenix last year. Um, you know, another team that he, he could have been a pretty good fit with. Um, but you know, at the same time, this is the second personnel, you know, the lead personnel guy in the, in the Pistons organization who is trying to get rid of, or, or, you know, trade away at least Luke Kennard, um, which, you know, maybe that does speak to his medical, to the long-term direction that the Pistons are, are, are heading. And I, and I think that's probably the bigger issue is that Troy Weaver you know, he, he clearly has a vision for the type of player he wants, um, and we can talk a little bit more about that. 
but Kennard and Brown didn't quite fit that. Um, I'm sure they didn't want to pay them, but at the same time, you know, like you said, the, the just overall, I guess the details behind some of the deal making is, is for sure fair to question with Troy Weaver. And it's something that's definitely going to have to improve moving forward. If they are going to, you know, um, do something other than just hit on lottery picks, which you inevitably have to to win some trades, win some transactions in order to build a really successful team. Yeah, hope, I mean, hopefully we are looking down the road and, you know, the the Pistons had hit on a couple of picks and, and we're not concentrated too much on this deal. One, one area where, or just one reason that also gives me just a little bit of pause in general, and this isn't a Troy Weaver thing, I think this is more so a holistic type of approach when it comes to team building there seems to be and this is you can say this about basketball you can say this about um you know football for sure uh just the cleaning house element it's like these are not my guys let's get them out of here let's hit it from scratch and let's go forward from there and i think when uh anyone kind of gets tunnel vision when they really just want to make sure that the the image of the team or that the team is built in their image, that you might be a little trigger happy on getting guys out the door when there might be more value down the road in moving a guy, say, at the deadline. Uh, now, D- Detroit might have been a little worried about the the medicals, his ability to play, and then at the end of the season, you're losing him for nothing. That's definitely something that, that might have been in the back of their minds. Uh, but just that, that sort of overall philosophy, I feel like, can really trip up guys uh, you know, you can look at the Lions with Matt Patricia. I don't need to go too far into that, but uh, there's just elements of that 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 it just rang true to me here. It's, that Troy Weaver really wanted to make sure that this team was built in his image. Luke Kennard was not a part of that plan, and thus you get rid of him while you can, even if you had to incentivize it. So I guess that does give me a little bit of concern. But now this is a team that's built in Troy Weaver's image. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I guess we don't have to ha- hang on this a little too long, but just needed to, it had to be discussed just because I know a lot of people, you know, really loved Kennard. I was a big Luke Kennard fan, so I was uh, disheartened to see him go, but uh, I know he's going to do hopefully some great things with the Clippers. Uh, you just hope that's not one of those signings and acquisitions where Kennard's balling out and, you know, you look back and you, and you point at the Pistons and, and see what they got. And, and if you know, Sadiq Bey doesn't necessarily hit because he was a part of that three-team trade and he was the, the acquisition for this team in that trade, uh, that's where, you know, there's going to be, um, th- there would be rightful criticism should things not necessarily pan out in favor of Detroit. Yeah, we we definitely don't need him added to the the likes of Chris Middleton on on Pistons Twitter. I would say. So just real quick, and this is kind of coupled in that um, Disnan Musa. I'm sure I'm butchering his first name. Uh, he was waived after he was acquired for Bruce Brown in that three team trade. Uh, in, in a player for player trade, I didn't like it from the jump. Uh, it makes even less sense now that he was waived before he actually suited up. You know, after the preseason. Uh, so did you have any thoughts about that? Just, just losing essentially Bruce Brown for nothing, uh, knowing that Musa didn't even get a chance to actually show if he had anything to, to give Detroit. Yeah. I, it, you know, it's another one that I don't quite understand. Um, I've 
I've been a big Bruce Brown fan since I honestly his I, I remember watching him in his first preseason game and being like this this guy can play. Um I don't think, you know, a lot like Kennard, I don't think that he was probably he probably made sense as a long-term asset for the Pistons. So I understand the the general direction, but but again the details I don't understand giving him up for a guy that you end up waving. Um, and I don't frankly understand waving Musa to begin with. Um, you know, Rodney Magruder would have seemed like the logical person to wave there, or, you know, you just keep um, Servetus overseas for another year, maybe. Um, th- th- there seemed to be a lot a lot more they could have done at the end of the roster um, because right now, just from the outside looking in, it, it almost just looks like Troy Weaver's just kind of pressing buttons. And, um, you know, he, he's certainly going in, a, I, I think, doing some good things in, in terms of the overall, like the big picture, but the, the small details just um, are, are getting overlooked, I think. Yeah, I mean, he was clearly a mechanical fatality in order to net the first round pick. It's like, okay, we'll make the trade just to make the money work. We'll get rid of Bruce Brown. And whatever happens with this kid happens with him. But uh, it was just one of those trades, at least initially, it did look like, all right, you know, this is a guy that was a first round pick. And uh, we'll see if he has any any juice in the tank. And we'll just kind of go forward from there, even though nothing necessarily signified, at least in his NBA career, that that he was going to be a, a difference maker on the court. Um, but clearly, he was just part of the mechanical structure of making everything work. And, you know, as I said, he was a fatality of that. And now he is no longer on a roster. So that's just another area where it's just like, OK, well, I guess you get rid of Bruce Brown, who seems like he would be a little bit more valuable, at least on some teams Uh, maybe not in Brooklyn, even though he's going to be one of the better defensive players on that team. He hasn't necessarily had a chance to perform a ton in the preseason. So I guess we'll see what happens with Bruce Brown. I was just, you know, with where they picked him up in the draft, what he was able to do as a second round pick. Um, you know, I, I just had thought that there would be some other type of taker out there, but apparently this was all centered around. Sadiq Bey, uh, and you know we talked about him last episode, so we don't have to go into that too much. But uh, you know this is this is what the Pistons got in return. So I guess we're all going to be keeping a keen eye on Bay moving forward, just hoping that he's able to show uh, some promise, show uh, some j- just be a, an impact player moving forward. Just knowing that a couple guys that that a lot of the fans really liked. Uh, were eventually sent out the door for him. So we will see. That is all to be determined for all these guys, honestly, because we haven't played any basketball yet for this season. So I guess we are kind of speculating a little too much. There's just a little bit around the edges where it's like, okay, I don't know. I I feel like I felt a little more confident during some of these moves. Now I'm feeling a little less confident uh, after seeing how some of this stuff has shaken out. So that's where I'm at with everything right now. Uh, and I, that's, that's pretty much where I am too. I think it's a fair position to take. Um, at the end of the day, <clears throat> nothing's been done that, that can't be 
fixed moving forward because of the, the timeline. You know, I think it's important to keep in mind that the Pistons are, aren't really going to contend for the playoffs um, probably for at least three years. Um, they're not hamstringing themselves or anything like that. So there, there is a lot um, that, that can still be done, nothing that can't be undone. You're right. In the, in the broader sense. You're right. Yeah, definitely. So everyone, pump the brakes. Uh, so let's get into some of the preseason takeaways. I know that you had recently had the Mason Plumley article come out, the preview for, on Detroit Bad Boys. So, uh, And you had mentioned some of the veteran presences on this team. Uh, you know, I, I guess do you want to start off with, with Mason Plumley and, and share a little bit more about what you sort of gathered from your tape reveal and how you see him sort of fitting in Detroit? Sure. Um, so, I, you know, the, the the whole idea of my my player preview for Mason Plumley was that he's kind of a veteran presence who can really help um, Detroit's younger players by virtue of his <clears throat> passing and his, his screening, essentially. Um, I saw a couple of jokes in response on, on Twitter, which I thought were kind of funny about why even have coaches when you have Mason Plumley, um, which is, you know, I, I'm obviously not saying that Mason Plumley is the end all be all, but I do think that it is important to have veteran players who can assist with the finer points of learning the NBA, learning defense, learning offense, how offenses and defenses are going to react to certain things that you do, what your keys are in terms of reading those plays those schemes. And I think Plumlee is, is good at that. He's, he's not some athletic freak, obviously. Um, he's, he's not going to be the pick and roll partner that Andre Drummond was in terms of finishing or anything like that, but he's a great screener. I think he's one of the better screeners in the NBA, frankly. Um, he understands angles he understands um, how to read the defender and just adjust accordingly. And something like that I think is, is going to be really important in killing Hayes' development. I think it's a, a skill that's really important for point guards, um, especially those who are going to be lead or primary ball handlers, which is certainly what you're going to expect out of Killian Hayes. So I think he can help there. Um, he's a good defensive communicator as well, which the Pistons have just been dying for. Blake does a good job, but, you know, last year you would you would watch games and Blake was the only Piston you could hear on the floor, which is never a, a good sign. When you watch good teams, you, you really hear the defense talking a, a lot. Um, and, and so I think he can, he can help promote that sort of, environment for the Pistons young guys. You know, I think that's something you kind of learn by just being a part of, um, and it kind of can rub off naturally. Uh, and that would certainly be the hope for, you know, a lot of the, the Pistons younger players, um, especially the guys who are going to be more wings and and bigs who are going to have to switch um, the guys like Seku and Sadiq Bey um, and, and Isaiah Stewart, if, if he uh, gets a, gets a chance this year. Yeah, and one thing that you had noted, just kind of in our doc that that and uh, in the preview, 
was you know, some of his passing abilities. I didn't notice this just because he wasn't the guy that I was paying attention to on the Nuggets. You know, there was a, a lot of other guys that jumped out of your screen. But he is a really good passer. He's a he's a, a, a really strong passer, especially for a center. Um, you know, I, I just remember a couple plays that, that stood out to me. He had a uh, really nice find to a cutting right. Uh, right was cutting off the baseline. They dumped it down to Plumlee in the post. His back was turned to the basket, and uh, Bright was cutting towards the hoop on the other side of the court. And he found him for a really nice uh, look when the D collapsed on him for an easy bucket at the cup. Uh, that was really impressive to me because it kind of looked like he had eyes in the back of his head, which I had ne- never really noticed a part of his game uh, before he had come to Detroit. Uh, another look that he had, it looked like it was going to be like a standard like DHO uh, for Svi right at the top of right at the corner three, not corner three, at the elbow three. Svi instead of you know sitting back there and waiting for it to come his way, had a nice cut towards the basket, and he found him. I think he nutmegged a guy, and uh, just a little give and go for a super easy look right at the basket, and you know just a couple of those types of plays where you just see. Over, uh, I guess you could say, uh, just above average passing skills was something that stood out to me. Especially, I had always kind of just penciled Plumlee in as strictly a screener and a roller. Especially when he was younger, he he did have some bunnies, um, you know. So I, I guess that was something that stood out to me. Just that that I hadn't noticed that you had pointed out, um, and something that that is going to be valuable, especially when you do have a lead guard like uh, Killian Hayes, especially when you do have guys that we've seen be really effective cutters so far in the preseason, Siku Dumboya being one of them. Um, Josh Jackson had a couple nice cuts. Uh, So there's going to be elements where he's going to be sneakily good for this team, but it might not necessarily pop out on the box score. But it's going to be those small little things that do teach the game to these guys and uh, you're right. I I don't think you can overestimate. He is an amazing screener. Like he actually makes contact, which is something that really bugs me about a lot of bigs in the NBA. It just seems like they're there to show and then they go. Uh, so he's not one of those guys. He's going to make sure that he lays the lumber on some guys and also really open up opportunities for Killian Hayes in the process. So it, yeah, something to, to keep your eye out on. You know, I I wasn't one of them that was. Uh, necessarily stoked when when they brought him in but at the end of the day I think he is going to provide a lot of value for this team especially with the amount of young guys that are on this roster yeah and so I think it's worth noting that um three out of the last four years Mason Plumley has been right around or above 20 percent assist rate um according to that, according to the basketball reference statistic that's incredible um, yeah, and so just for some context, for people who don't know that, like if you're approaching 20% as a non-primary ball handler, you're you're assisting a lot of shots. Um, like, like that's a really good rate for a non-primary ball handler, um, especially for a center who really doesn't touch the ball that much. Um, you know, and certainly the last two or three years, two or I guess it's the last three and a half years, He's he's been on a, a really good Denver team, and so the assist rate is not going to be as high in Detroit just because Detroit's not going to make as many shots. But you know when when you have 
the Pistons are going to struggle offensively this year. I, I think we, you know, that's one of the the pre, my preseason takeaways. Their defense was really good. The offense was really bad. Um, I think I think James Edwards or somebody tweeted today that they were the they were like a top ten defense and a and the the worst offense in the in the preseason. Um, but if you have Plumley, Blake Griffin, and Killian Hayes, who you know are all really good passers, um, and you have cutters like Seku, um, like Josh Jackson, um, you know Sadiq Bay showed that skill in college. You're you're going to get around some of your shooting woes. Um, it's it's not going to completely uh, hide the fact that you can't shoot, but it's it's going to at least mitigate it enough that you're, you know, the, the guys you want to showcase can create some space um, because of just the threat of other people passing. Um, you know, we saw that a lot with with Andre and and Blake. I think you know Andre was a good passer. He, don't think he's as good a passer as Mason Plumley, frankly, but, um, you know, that when, when they were really moving the ball, well, um, it really opened up a lot of things for the rest of the offense. And, and so I, I think that is what you hope, um, for, for the sake of your young guys, um, you're going to see this season. Yeah. And, um, let's just hope that, uh, we see, uh, you know, I, I guess we're just going to hope that we can see as many easy buckets as possible, let's be honest. Um, but uh, let's move on. So DeLon Wright, that, that's a guy that uh, has sneakily had one of the better preseasons for Detroit. He's not, necess- he's not necessarily the guy that you're going to get super amped for when you watch him on a nightly basis. But uh, he was good for Detroit. I, I, you know, he averaged seven points per game to almost three boards. He shot 59% from the floor and 67% from three uh, in, in about 17 minutes per game. So I don't know. Do you see a, a, an extended role for DeLon Wright moving into this season? He's kind of one of those guys where I feel like the fan base is going to think that he plays way too much compared to some of the other, I guess, wings, guards that they have on this roster. Um, but at least with his on-court performance so far and with his past with Dwayne Casey, there is a possibility that he is going to get a lot of burn this season. Um, I don't know. What are your thoughts on him, just kind of seeing what what you've seen from him so far this preseason? Yeah, so people were ragging on him pretty hard after the first game where he he wasn't good. Um, But, you know, DeLon Wright, number one, the number one thing he has is – Dwayne Casey has complete confidence in DeLon Wright. He's coached him before. Um, DeLon is a veteran. He's a, he's just a really solid player. He's a, a a true combo guard, and he shoots the ball really well. Um, and so, you know, coming from, a, or I guess, joining a team that really I would expect to struggle shooting the ball, he, he's going to provide value there. Um, especially next to um, Killing Hayes. Um, I would expect to see Svi in the starting lineup with, with Hayes at some point um, because Svi obviously provides a ton of shooting, uh, more than more than Wright. But, but Wright also is able to handle the ball. You know, I sort of look at him as what we expected Langston Galloway to be three or four years ago when, when Stan Van Gundy signed him, 
um, hard caps the team to sign him. (laughs) Yeah. The big sell on, on Langston at the time, I remember people saying that, you know, well, there were questions about Reggie Jackson's, um, health at that point. Um, and you didn't really want Ish Smith to start 82 games. So, so Langston Gallo is going to be that guy who could, who could kind of fill in as the, the backup point guard or, or move to the, the starting point guard when needed. Yeah. And he um, was a point guard when he was in, you know, drafted kind of as a point guard with New York um, and then played a little bit of that with the Pelicans as well. Yeah. And, and obviously Langston, you know, just wasn't a good enough ball handler to really take over that uh, a, a full-time or, or I guess a, a larger point guard role. DeLon Wright is a guy that I think can do that. And, you know, Killian Hayes is going to have some struggles. Um, you know, he's going to get nicked up, um, as is Derrick Rose. We know Derrick Rose might not be here for an extended period of time. Um, if De- if Derrick Rose gets traded, you you shift DeLon Wright back into the the bench as the, the primary point guard. You move Sfi up to the, the, the starting lineup and – I think you're in business there. Um, so, you know, there's there's a number of things, and I, I think you do have to factor that Derek Rose and Blake Griffin might not be long for this team when, you, when you're analyzing some of the things like Jeremy Grant playing the three, DeLon Wright getting too many minutes. Um, <clears throat> you know, things are bound to change this year with the roster. And just with COVID, I mean, we're, you know, I think we need to remind people we're in the middle of a pandemic still. And, you know, there's going to be times where guys are going to be out for a couple of weeks, probably um, due to COVID issues. And, you know, you, you need guys who can really come in and, and make plays and just give you good minutes. Um, because if not, all the pressure is going to be on Killian Hayes when he, when he has the ball or Sadiq Bey or Seiku or whoever it may be. And you, you definitely need to take, some pressure off those guys, um, put them in positions to succeed, and just throwing them to the wolves is is not the way to do it, I don't think. No, you're right. There's going to be some times where Killing Hayes really isn't having it, and having him out there for 40 minutes in a game where his confidence might suffer, which we've seen happen to Sikudun Boya last season. Came out the gates when he got the starting role, looked really, really good, and then he kind of fell off a cliff. Uh, you might be able to mitigate some of that with uh, a player like DeLon Wright, uh, and, and hopefully it won't spiral. You know, it, when Killian Hayes does struggle, uh, having someone to check in for him to take over maybe a bulk of, of the minutes for a week or for you know some particular games will be able to for him to sort of just sit back, relax watch the game, learn more, take notes, and then, you know, become a better player as the season goes on rather than just kind of dwell on his shortcomings, you know, what what that whatever that means to him and to the organization, um, just knowing that he's not going to, you know, be an absolute monster in his first season on this team particularly. So I completely agree. And you're right, you know, the depth is going to be a, an extremely important aspect uh going into this season you it does really you're right in this also that there's a pandemic going on like there's 
there's a lot of elements to where everyone is sort of, I feel like, still in bubble mode mentally. Where it's like, oh, this season's going to kick off. Not realizing that eventually there's going to be some pretty depleted rosters out there. And, uh, you know, it might make for uh, some not as exciting on-court basketball. Uh, but at the same time, the more guys that you have that are ready to play, the better it's going to be for some sense of continuity, some sense of team building, knowing that this team isn't necessarily gunning for the playoffs this season. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so going back to, I guess, cutting cutting Janan Musa instead of, say, Rodney Magruder or Wayne Ellington, what what do you think that says with with this whole conversation in, in mind um, about what Troy Weaver and and Dwayne Casey want to do with the rotation this season? I think it's going to be really interesting at you know that that two guard spot and the three four to see who gets minutes on this roster. One thing that that we know about Dwayne Casey and you said it already, he likes to play guys that he can trust. Wayne Ellington was already on this team. Um, Rodney Magruder is a seasoned vet. He's been around the league for a long time. So it wouldn't necessarily surprise me to see some of those guys get looks over other players that, that you might be more excited about, um, especially when, when they may struggle for perhaps an extended period of time. I guess that's one thing that I'm still not sure. And I think that's one thing that Detroit Bad Boys, our staff, uh, a lot of people that, that follow this team online, at least the people that I'm seeing, are most, not necessarily concerned about, but waiting to see what the sort of rotations look like. Uh, there's probably going to be some unsavory moments, at least from like a fan perspective of the guys that you want to see. Uh, but at the same time, I, I think there is going to be, I, I think that element of Dwayne Casey playing guys that he trusts is going to come to fruition uh, throughout this season. So I don't know. It, it's really hard for me to tell. I actually am writing the first uh, pre or preview for the first game of the season, and I don't think we necessarily know who's going to be in the starting lineup and who's going to be first man off the bench. Uh, Dwayne Casey did have some sort of, uh, or he did show his cards a little bit about some of the guys that he plans on moving forward with, but I think there's a, just a lot of sort of second, third, fourth man off the bench who are going to be playing this season that we don't necessarily know what it looks like. And honestly, I don't think that the the coaching staff knows right now. So, uh, But Ellington, I could see him playing. Magruder, we'll see. But cutting Musa, that's clearly a guy that the organization had decided that they're not interested in finding out if he has anything, seeing how he played like 10 minutes in the preseason. Yeah, and I... I, I think you're kind of onto something with with Wayne Ellington. I, I think he'll definitely play some minutes, more minutes than probably most of Pistons Twitter is going to be comfortable with. Um, but at the same time, you know, if if you can find a a period of time where he gets hot from three, and we know he can, um, we saw it a couple of years ago when he was on the roster. Um, you might be able to flip him at the trade deadline to a team who. Um, is looking to contend or looking to make the playoffs and need some shooting. And and that's certainly a, a consideration when you're looking at some of these guys, um, not just what are they going to do today, who are they blocking, but you know, can we end up flipping some of these guys for assets? Um, but 
to make up, frankly, for some of the ones that we've, we've given up in the last month or so. Yeah, and uh, another aspect of this as well with Ellington, and I guess you can couple Sfee in this as well. What I had wrote in the uh, Sadiq Bay preview, which is coming out the same day that this episode is coming out, uh, is I feel like Bay is going to mirror a lot of what we've seen out of uh, Svee when it comes to the the looks that he's going to generate. It's going to be spot up spot up looks. It's going to be um, you know looks from deep in the dribble handoff. It's going to be. Um, catch and shoot opportunities because he does have an ability to navigate screens. That's what Ellington does, you know. So there is an element of our young players sitting down and learning from guys who are who have been really successful, who have made their mark in the league. Especially Ellington because he's been in the league for so damn long, and Sfee, who's a, a, just a wizard at playing that role. There's value there to having a guy just sit down and sort of watch and learn from a couple of guys who are really good at playing that particular role. And that is the role that I see at least initially for Sadiq Bey going into this season, uh, just knowing that he was drafted because he is uh, was a sharpshooter in college. He was so good in spot-up situations. He was so good in catch-and-shoot situations. So he ranked in the 98th percentile in college in both of those areas. So those in learning the fundamentals of that at the NBA level is going to be really valuable. And those two guys, especially Svee, but also Ellington, are, are going to be good teachers at sort of delivering that information and the subtleties of playing that position in the NBA. Uh, I, yeah, I think that's a great point. And it's frankly not something I'd considered. Um, but I, I guess we can move on to we've talked a lot about the offensive side of the ball. Um, I thought, and I think I mentioned that they were, I think the Pistons were a top 10 defense. Obviously, this is a super small sample size and it's preseason. But I thought that, that they looked better and a lot different defensively. What what were your thoughts about what you saw defensively that you liked and didn't like during the preseason? Well, I, I mentioned this also in the Bay preview, but it is refreshing that there is a, a – NBA ready wing rotation with this team. You know, when you look at guys like Grant, uh, the size of Svee, Siku Dumboya, Sadiq Bey, these are all players that you can more comfortably switch in situations than what we had in seasons past. So I think that there's going to be a lot more sort of, I don't know, I guess for lack of a better term, like hounding type of defense. I think we've seen some of that throughout the preseason so far where it's just an aggressive style of defense. It's also a style of defense where where you do you are allotted opportunities to switch more compared to there were so many times in seasons past where we, we had 6-4 combo guards. We had uh, you know Luke Kennard. We had Wayne Ellington playing the three. And it wasn't good. It, 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 this is, that's one of the most athletic positions in the NBA uh, when you just look at the amount of killers that are out there. So I, I think that element of the game is going to be, defensively, I think it's going to be a really strong uh, part and, and part of the DNA of this team. But at the same time, I don't necessarily... I, I had noted that Detroit ranked 22nd last season in defensive rating. Um I don't necessarily think they're going to be better just because their offense is not going to be good at all. Uh, they let me just see here. They had 
They allowed 89 points per game per 100 possessions possessions in the preseason. Uh, They scored 91 points per game per 100 possessions in the preseason. So they're just not going to be able to score that often, which is going to lead to a lot of like fast break opportunities uh, for other teams. So at the end of the day, the the total picture of the Pistons defense might not be improved from last season, but I think within the half court, that's going to be improved. I think just the the brand of defense is going to be uh, a lot more exciting and something that might be necess- not necessarily reminiscent, but it's going to be a team that you can actually be excited about on the defensive end of the floor, which hasn't been the case over the past few years, even though they've ranked all right when they were under Stan Van Gundy. Um, so I guess just to put it all to bed, yes, I think there's going to be a lot of elements that are better, but at the same time, I think just based on the how bad the the offense is going to be that there's going to be a lot of games where the Pistons are allowing a lot of points you know 110 120 points per game yeah and you know not I I think doubly bad is not just that the offense is going to be bad but we saw the offense really struggle to hold on to the ball in the preseason there were a lot of turnovers and a lot of live ball turnovers which is going to hurt the defense so I I think it's I think people need to be be careful in just looking at the defensive rating this year. Um it's not going to tell the full story because eventually the offense will get better. Um especially as Killian Hayes grows and develops. But you really I think need to take a close look at what they're what they're doing in the in the half court. And like you said, the half court defense I was really happy with it this this preseason. Um the the thing that I really liked was that when when there was dribble penetration, I mean, how many times the last five, six years have we just seen somebody get a foot into the free throw line and then see like no resistance, right? Like it, it seemed to happen twenty times a game. Andre Drummond, I think, had a, got a really bad rap for being a bad rim defender when there were so many times where he was literally just left alone on an island because the initial action just allowed for either a wing or a point guard in like a, a one-on-one situation against Drummond. And we've seen that so many times in Detroit that it's just, it seemed like it was just part of the identity. Uh, and I, I think Drummond got a bad rap from that, undeservedly so. Uh, just because it, it was so bad at the point of attack. And I, I don't think that's going to be the case moving forward. Yeah, I mean, every other possession, it seemed like sometimes. And, and Dr- Drummond had his had his flaws defensively. Like, there's no doubt about that. But it seemed like every other possession, there was like a, a two-on-one within 10 feet of the basket. Um, and Andre Drummond was forced to to either leave his guy and, and give an open, open dunk up to him or give kind of a half-hearted contest to his guy to to the, the the guy that beat the perimeter and and hope he got the deep, hope he missed and then hope that Drummond got back in time to get the rebound. Um you know what I saw in the preseason was once there was initial penetration, by and large, there were bodies and there were like long bodies ready to to stop that penetration. Um, I also thought that they scrambled well after that initial help defense came. Um, there, there's certainly things that they can improve on in that regard, but it, it just seemed to be a more coherent defensive scheme than, than I can remember seeing from the Pistons in, in a really long time. 
they're going to have the length to be able to do that sort of thing. And, and the other thing that I, I, I really liked actually, and you know, I'm a, I'm a Bomani Jones, like I hate the zone defense type of type of person, but after they got torched by the, the Knicks at times in the first preseason game, you saw Dwayne Casey go to some more zone. And I think zone defense sometimes forces, especially your, your younger, inexperienced defenders to really focus more. Um, and when you have the kind of length that the Pistons are going to have this year relative to what they've had in the past, I think zone makes a little more sense. And, and obviously zone is just becoming a, a normal part of the NBA. Um, we saw the success that, that the Miami Heat had last year do it, doing it. Um, the Raptors won a title by, by throwing a lot of different zone looks and, um, at, at opponents. And it's, it's not going to be a go-to defense. It can't be a go-to defense. But um, in certain cir- circumstances, especially when your man-to-man defense is struggling a little, I think it's a viable option this year for the Pistons where it just, it just hasn't been in the past. Like Bruce Brown was a really good on-ball defender. Luke Kennard, I think, was a better defender than he probably gets credit for. But you can't throw those guys in the zone in a zone when teams can just throw the ball over over the top. Um, yeah, and Luke Kennard had T-Rex arms at the end of the day. Yeah, and you, you're not going to be able to do that with this team. So I'm excited to, to see what they do in the – the regular season um, with the defense. Um, and, you know, I'm really going to be just focused on the half court. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And, and watching what Killian Hayes and Seku and Josh Jackson and Sadiq Bey are doing. Um, and I, I thought they all showed kind of some flashes of, of real brilliance in the, in the preseason, whether that's going to translate when you're playing meaningful games, who knows, but um it's it's something that that I haven't seen even in a preseason for the Pistons in, in quite a while. Yeah, the, there's was elements or there were moments during the games during the preseason where some of that scrambling that you mentioned was some of the most exciting action that I've seen on a Pistons court in the last couple of years. <laughs> it was pretty sad and kind of nerdy, but it's like these guys are getting after it right now, and I'm here for that. Just coming from a Detroit Pistons fan, you know, this is exactly what has made this team who they are, historically speaking, is just their tenacity on defense. So seeing even just elements of that throughout uh, four games in the preseason, yeah, we know it's a little early to, to crown them anything. But at the end of the day, it, it just was exciting because it, it just didn't, it hasn't been a staple of this of the Pistons over the, the last decade and a half. So hopefully we, we do see some glimpses from a lot of these guys in the unit in totality. Um, yeah. And, and so I, I do, I do want to just throw out one, one play that people can go and watch. Um, I'm working on kind of highlighting some defensive preseason plays um, and NBA.com is a little limited in, in that, you know, if a guy knocks the ball out of bounds, you don't get to, um, watch that that part of the play necessarily. But there was a play in the last game, and it, it was about the nine-minute mark of the third quarter against the Wizards, where they were scrambling, and I forget who who somebody um, covered the the shooter. The, um, uh, one, of the, one of the Pistons defenders was kind of two-on-one on, on the weak side, or I guess it was the strong side. 
Um, the pass went to the the shooter above the break, and Killian Hayes um, did a perfect X out where he he went from basically the free throw line and sprinted and and defended the the corner shooter, which is like that is a standard part of kind of how defensive rotations work in the NBA now, but it's not something that's super intuitive. Um, and Killian Hayes really just did it remarkably well, especially for a, a rookie in his preseason at his age. Um, so I, I, w- I was really impressed by that. And there were, there were kind of those moments. You saw a lot of them from, from Seku this, this preseason. Yeah. And, and Josh Jacks made uh, quite a bit of plays on the defensive end of the floor as well. Um, let's talk about Josh Jackson real quick. Uh, a couple of games ago, he was sort of the talk of the town. Um, he had a really strong preseason in general. Uh, he, I think he averaged, yeah, almost 11 points per game, shot 50% from three, 48% from the floor, 50% from three on 18 attempts, you know, 33% for, uh, in total from the floor. So he was getting some run. And he, he played really, really well. He had some foul troubles early in the preseason, but uh, whatever. I don't necessarily care about that right now. Um, but just, you know, Jackson, just in case people don't already know this, and I'm sure a lot of you do, he's he grew up in Southfield, which is just north of Detroit, uh, attended high school in Detroit for a couple of years. He was a McDonald's All-American. He was number one recruit on Rivals and Scout.com. He was the number two recruit on ESPN. He went to Kansas. He balled out there. He was Big 12 first team. He was number four in the draft behind Fultz, uh, Ball, Jason Tatum. And then the wheels pretty much immediately flamed or fell off. So he spent a couple of years in Phoenix, one year in Memphis in the G League, and then he wound his way back to his hometown in Detroit. So I, there's a couple elements here where it's exciting because he's a hometown kid. He's a, a really high draft pick in, in a draft just three seasons ago, uh, and he's shown bright spots uh, so far throughout the preseason that look like there should be and will translate to uh, this season, to the regular season, not only because uh, he, sh- he did it against NBA competition in the preseason, but at the same time, he's been through this ringer in his short career. He knows that this is a golden opportunity for him to sort of reclaim his NBA career. And uh, just all of that, just in totality, is something that really excites me about Josh Jackson in Detroit. And I don't know, I guess I'm just curious to think or or to gather your thoughts about what you've seen from him and just sort of the narrative in general about Josh Jackson. Um, You know, having him be possibly one of the most impactful players uh, on this roster this season. Yeah, so I I really like the Josh Jackson signing. Um, They probably paid him a little too much, but he's the perfect type of player that, that the Pistons should continue to, to be looking for in trades and free agency. Um, super talented, um, no real risk in, in terms of getting him, but there's, there's obviously a, a high reward. And, you know, if, if he blossoms to a point where it looks like you're not going to keep him, you can get assets for him. Um, that that's the exact type of guy that you want on a team like Detroit right now. I, I thought he played excellent in the preseason. Um, 
and I, and I was thinking a lot about his preseason and um, just about about him in general earlier today, and and the the comparison that I kept thinking about um, was Contavious Caldwell Pope, and this isn't some sort of hot take. This this um, I'm not really a hot take type person, but you know when you when you think about you know two lottery picks, Josh Jackson obviously had a had a better pedigree, but KCP in his first three years in Detroit kind of struggled to to find himself, struggled especially to to find a shot. He got a little better, um, a lot better really in his third year. And Josh Jackson had had a decent year last year. Um, I think he had a really good year in the G League, and then he he had some success in Memphis until the the season was shut down. Um, or no, I'm sorry, that that's that's wrong. He I'm pretty sure he he didn't. I, I don't remember exactly, but he but he 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 showed. He played really well in the preseason for sure. He was averaging yeah. over twenty points per game. He, he was looking good in the preseason. I didn't necessarily watch it, but I doing my research. He he had put together a really solid preseason performance, or he wouldn't be here. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So he he showed some flashes in in Memphis, and you know, like KCP, he the, the shooting numbers have not been there, but he has a really good stroke. He's a very fluid type athlete. Um, you know, he's a better athlete than KCP. He's a little. He's he's definitely bigger than him as well. Um, but they, you know, they both stand out to me as just kind of the guys who can kind of contribute in every every different way. Don't do anything maybe especially great, but have the potential to be really useful players if they can just kind of put it together. Um, and he's only twenty three. Um, which which is about at the the point where KCB started to kind of turn it on, and you know I, I'm I'm not saying that he's going to turn it on like KCP did in his fourth year because I thought KCP was just awesome that fourth year when we were all ready to give him about five hundred million. Hashtag um, pay that man. Hashtag pay <laughs> KCP. I was on that train. Oh, I was too. I was too. <laughs> um, I don't know that we're going to get to that. that One of the that. most exciting times of his basketball was. <laughs> was. Like, are we going to throw was. him two oh five over five years? Like, I don't care. Do it. Pay that man. Yeah, it it was uh, it was a it was a fun time on Pistons Twitter. Um, but I <laughs> I can see Josh Jackson making that type of leap. Um, you know, I, he's he's not going to be a, a number one or even a number two guy, but. He can be a useful number three, number four scorer on a good team who just does a lot of different things. Um, one of the things that really stood out to me in the preseason, besides his defense, which, um, you know, he had that sick chase down block at, at the end of the, the last game. Um, but he, he did some good things on defense, but he really seemed to rebound the ball really well, I thought. Um, and this Pistons team, I think, might struggle to, to rebound and, and that you might see some defensive issues that are a result of, of rebounding because Jeremy Grant, Blake Griffin, Mason Plumlee aren't especially good rebounders for their size. Um, but I, I really saw him anticipate the ball well and, and just go out and get, and get balls and, and kind of start the team the other way a little quicker than, than we sometimes see the Pistons do. So I, I saw a lot of good from Josh Jackson. Um, the, the other thing I would note is – he in the last game also he had the shot in the corner. I don't know if you remember this. Um, I think it was on a baseline out of, or a sideline or yeah, it was it was under the basket. It was an out of bounds play where he got the ball in the corner, 
in a really tight spot, grabbed kind of a not so good pass, did a little hop, got himself on balance and just drained a three falling away in the corner. Um, and, and you see that sort of stuff and, you know, he just oozes potential, you know, whether, whether he can put it together, you know, hopefully you would hope by this point that the game's slowing down for him a little bit and, and maybe, um, you know, his shot selection gets a little better. That's, that's one of the things that I'll be curious to watch, um, as the season progresses. Yeah, and I think he's going to have plenty of opportunity to do so. So that so there'll be a lot more uh, Jackson to talk about as the season continues, and hopefully it's more of these positive things. So so on a final note, uh, this is just something that I noticed. I know we had an article about it on Detroit Bad Boys. Um, some models expect Detroit to be the worst team in the league this season. 538 has Detroit winning 18 games. It's a 72-game season. Um, which is roughly like a 20-21 win pace or so for an 82-game season. Um, and, and while that's not a bad thing, especially with the draft class coming up, uh, do you think that'll ring true? Do you think they're going to be one of like the bottom three teams in the NBA, just kind of looking over the, the landscape, uh, assuming, hell, you know, not, not assuming that a bunch of teams are going to lose their guys, all their guys for two weeks, four weeks at a time. But just in general, just kind of looking at it, I guess, in a vacuum of health. Do, do you think this team's going to be that bad uh, for for th- this season? Uh, I, I think the team's going to be pretty bad. I they're they're certainly not like a lock worst team in the in the league, like you know the Sixers were during the process for a couple of years. Um, but just depending on how things play out you know they you you put them the Knicks the Cavs certainly in in that um sort of tier and the reason I I think one of the reasons that I think they're going to project to be even worse than they might appear right now is that if you see Blake Griffin looking really healthy and playing really great and they're winning a lot of games and maybe Derrick Rose is contributing a lot that might be the impetus to trade those guys. And, you know, that's great for the development of some of the younger players in, in terms of getting more minutes. But I, I could definitely see them moving guys um, who, who are kind of showing out and and raising their trade value while, while also kind of just giving you extra shots at Cade Cunningham and, and co. Uh, in, in the draft coming up. Yeah, yeah, you're right. There's definitely a world where both those guys are not on the roster. I think there's a lot of fans and people that follow this team that would hope that that would be the case that uh, that that they'll show out, as you said, and you know, be have as high trade value as possible, and then you move on, and, and then you're really bottoming out. And if that's the case, I, I would be almost surprised to see them win, you know, 20 games, but. Uh, yeah, I, I think, I guess one thing that made me realize that, yeah, this is going to be a really tough season is just how limited they were on the offensive side of the floor, how unpolished a lot of these guys are that are going to get a lot of run, looking at the Killian Hayes, looking at, you know, all the first round picks, essentially, Bay and Stewart. Um, so, and, and that's not a bad thing. You know, this is a, a perfect season to be really, really bad. And then you just hope that your lottery luck turns around and that this team can find 
one of those other guys to be, or one of the, like, a guy to be the sort of franchise cornerstone for this thing moving forward. So, yeah, it's going to be tough, but I think there's going to be a lot to celebrate and a lot to be excited about. Um, not necessarily when it comes to results this season, but just moving forward and just thinking about where this team is and where we want them to be three, four, five years down the road. So I'm all here for it. Uh, but yeah, they're, they're going to be a pretty uh, uh, limited team in totality, but we'll keep it, you know, we'll, we'll be covering it. So, uh, and I'm excited for it. I'd rather have them win 20 games or 18 games than have them win. 29 games uh, or 27 games and and try to fight for the play-in tournament, which I don't think will do this team necessarily any good moving forward. Yeah, there's there's definitely going to be ugly moments. You know, they're they're probably going to be a team that shows up on the the Charles Barkley come on man uh, highlight reel um, just because of some of the ugly things that they might do. Um, we and you kind of alluded to that. We saw that in the preseason, but. You know, I would just caution people to not overreact to those those individual things. Um, you know, this is I, I totally agree with you that it's a, it's a very exciting time. Um, I'm more excited about the Pistons and just analyzing them from a, a team building perspective than I than I have been probably since I've started writing five or six years ago. Um, and and so I, I we need to look at the the bigger picture in, in all our, all of our discussions uh, surrounding the franchise, I think. And we will take you there. So just come along for the ride. So yeah, this is inside the cylinder. Uh, this is David Fernandez. You find my work on Detroit bad boys per usual. Um, I'm joined as always by my co-host Matt way. And uh, yeah, I guess uh, keep an eye out for all of our stuff. It, new episodes on, DBB, uh, also on our Twitter, Inside the C Y L N D R, and we'll catch you next week. Peace. Thanks, David.